Dotnet Rocks episode 595 with guests Brandon Watson, Ian Nicolaitis, Joel Stiles, and Jeff Weber. Recorded live Monday, September 19th, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Windows Phone 7, by Telerik, Code Haystack, and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now here's Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl. It's Richard. We're here. And uh, special thanks to the Windows Phone 7 team for sponsor of this show. And it's all about the phone. Hey, Richard. It's all about the phone, my friend. We're all pretty excited about the phone. We got a lot of content to chew through, so let's get right into Better Know Framework. Awesome. What do you got? Have you ever had this experience, Richard? You're getting ready to do Better Know Framework. Yeah. And uh, you find a class and you say, oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. Oh, I think I might have done this one before. <laughs> you ever happen to you? No, because I'm not the one who does Better Know Framework. Well, it's just you. I don't know if I have done this, and I'm sorry if I have, but it's a very cool class. It's a, it's a Silverlight class. It's in System.Diagnostics. And it's the stopwatch class. Hmm. I don't recall it myself. So please educate me. Well, it does friend. what you think it does. It's got a start. It's got a stop. And it's got an elapsed yeah. event uh, property, an elapsed milliseconds property, an elapsed ticks property. Cool. And then there's a frequency field, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's a is high resolution field mm. that you can set. And it's a Boolean. How high is the resolution? Yeah, when it's you're a in good question. Resolution? I'm looking in the in the um, in the docs, and it doesn't say. It just says is high resolution as boolean. Probably, probably ticks. I would imagine ticks is pretty much high resolution. It's about as granular as you get. Yeah, maybe it doesn't support ticks. But anyway, system stopwatch. You know, yeah. Sometimes you need that, and the timer itself may not be the the right solution for that. Right. Well, if you like that, you're going to love this email. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Uh, in .NET Rock show number 578 about the Silverlight Pivot Viewer, a listener wrote about the lack of multitasking in Windows Phone 7. He points out that he often uses a stopwatch on Android and lets ah. it, quote unquote, run in the background while doing other tasks. There's no way. <laughs> now, are you serious? Uh, this, is the, this is the email, my friend. This no is a idea. perfect example of something that is entirely possible in Windows Phone 7 if you try to change your mindset and look at what's possible instead of focusing on limitations. Hmm. And to prove my point, I created, from the user's point of view, a multitasking stopwatch for Windows Phone 7. No kidding. And the bit.ly link is... Bitly. Bitly. Yeah, not Shrinkster, Bitly. Because Shrinkster is down. Why is Shrinkster down, my friend? Shrinkster's down because some spammers have been using it to uh, sh to hide the fact that they're giving URLs to known spam sites. Uh. And we got complaints, and they basically said, if you don't do something about this, we're going to shut down your ISP. Nice. So, and I dove, you know, I didn't write the code, so I'm diving around in it and looking and having a difficult time. So I may just end up rewriting it. But well, until then, it's do. down. Sorry. For now, Shrinkster's down. So here's a bit.ly link All right. for this project. It's Bravo Romeo Whiskey Victor Echo Zero. So it's B-I-T dot L-Y slash that code. Yeah, that's right. All right. Bitly. And that is a link to this Windows Phone 7 multitasking demonstration for a stopwatch. And he goes on to explain, what actually happens here is that I cheat and I use the Windows Phone 7 lifecycle events. When the user navigates away from my app, the application deactivated event is fired and I create a digital tombstone for my application huh. with the start time, which is whatever the whenever the user press start on the stopwatch. Brilliant. When the user presses the back button, the application is reactivated. It is actually started back up, but because of this tombstone, the application activated event is fired and it gets its start time back. And since it has a start time, now it auto starts the timer with the controls displayed right at that same point. And so you continue exactly where you were. And so to the user, it appears like a multitasking stopwatch. Awesome. 
to the developer. It's a little more work to shut down and start back up, but the advantage is that I always know I have the full power of the hardware. You're not wasting cycles counting when you don't need to. You just need to know when you started. Right. That's great. And that was from, now, this is a great name from Denmark, Tau Sick. <laughs> not toxic, but Tau Sick. And Tau awesome email a mug is on its way to denmark for you thanks for the great thinking about how to do this in Windphone 7 so uh just a couple of quick announcements about where richard and i are going to be coming up here we're going to london next week to devcon definitely yes we'll i haven't been be back speaking. to london for a while since so like the v-bug days you remember yep and we'll both be speaking there and uh are we doing a show we are going to do a .NET Rocks Live. It'll be a panel discussion. Uh, there's some details still being worked out there, but we've got a time slot. It's going to be a lot of fun. And um, let's just say that the topic may not may look a little vanilla for the for the discussion, but we we promise it's going to be engaging. We will do great things. Yeah, we will do great things. Trust us. And. Uh, with that, uh, let, let's tell the users a little bit about what to expect here. We're going to do a uh, half an hour interview with Brandon Watson from the Windows Phone team, Microsoft. Indeed. And uh, then we're going to do interviews with a couple other people who are developing applications for Windows Phone 7 and uh, doing, doing the real work. And I think next week we'll do another show like this. I've got even more interviews lined up with all these great small teams building apps for Windows 7. So I think we're going to have a whole other show on this topic. And to kick the show off right, let's introduce Brandon Watson. Brandon Watson is our go-to guy on the Windows Phone 7 team. And uh, you might remember him from the road trip as well. And uh, very, very excited about getting developers to develop for Windows Phone. Welcome, Brandon. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always good to be back. Yes, and, and thanks for sponsoring the show. I think it's, it's timely. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of people who are interested in how can I make that killer app for for the Windows Phone Seven? They want to ride the wave. Well, hopefully we didn't make the Telerik guys too upset uh, sponsoring the show this week. Those guys do such a good job for us, and uh, and hopefully they'll be building controls for Phone Seven. But I've uh, heard rumor they've got something to uh, announce pretty soon around that. So I, I, I can't say, obviously I'm not going to announce anything for those guys. That's their job. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, Windows Phone Seven Dev Tools and and the developers you guys are going to be talking to. I guess a little bit later, which is pretty awesome. We're excited to have you know kind of found some guys that you guys talked to about what they're building for the uh, for the phone. So we have uh, we have downloaded some of us have downloaded the tools at developer.windowsphone.com and have installed it and messed around with the little hello world apps and stuff. And maybe some of us have done even bigger and better things. What uh, what can we look forward to in this latest round? Because I guess the final version is recently shipped. Yeah, so we we put out the final tools last week. Uh, Thursday morning uh, was that September 16th, and it's been uh, a crushing download rate, which has been very pleasantly surprising, uh, because this really tells us because because you need the final tools to uh, publish to the marketplace. It really is a strong indicator or a strong leading indicator of of, of market acceptance and and uh, what people are going to be doing for, uh, for who's building apps, right? You know, if you get a slow download rate, then you're in trouble. Uh, if you get a strong download rate, then at least you feel pretty pretty good that uh, lots of people are showing up. So it is the final tools. You do need these to uh, compile your app uh, for the marketplace for ingestion to pass. And it's not there's no major breaking changes from the beta, but you do need the, the upgraded tools. But we added a couple of new controls uh, and some new uh, project types to make building apps a little bit easier. So we added the panorama control, uh, the pivot control, and the big maps control based on basically community feedback, letting us know that we had kind of screwed up a little bit and left some things out, and they they felt pretty strongly that they needed those things in there to be successful, and we wanted to give them what they needed. Tell me about the panorama control. Uh, panorama, as, as you know, you know the UI for Windows Phone 7 is very different. We're trying to make a different kind of phone. Uh, we don't want people going to go in and out of menus, right, in and out of lists. That's, that's, it's fine for... You know, it's fine, but we wanted to be different, and we need, we needed to stand out. And so, the the right way to think about panorama is is your data exists on a landscape, and the phone becomes a lens that you can move around that landscape. Wow! Uh, and it, it really expands what you can do uh, with the phone, being able to parcel up your data into kind of spaces on that landscape, and, and the phone easily moves from one space to the next. It it, it really is a it's a more contiguous experience uh, and less jarring to move between different sets of data. Wow. Yeah, whenever cool. you see the panoramic control visualized, they were always showing a, a graphic that's two or three times or four times the size of the screen. Uh, yeah, that's about right. And so you're basically able to drag side to side to the different pieces? Side to side and up and down. 
Oh, so it can it could be like a, a two by three mat or a three by four matrix, something like that. Uh, exactly. You can, it could be as big as you want it to be, more or less. I mean, obviously, there's design guidelines you want to stick to in that, but but it, yeah, I mean, you're basically moving around a, a space. It's now, pretty, what's the difference it, really it, between that and an and an image control that can just display a big graphic? A big graphic. Yeah, a big uh, a big JPEG file that maybe is you know three or four or five screens. <laughs> big and just zooming you, in I, I suppose you could do that it would have to the the, the the navigation would have to know how to snap to the different spaces that you're actually demarcating as this is this space this is that space and you can't really do that very easily with it with a jpeg so it's really about the snapping uh yeah i mean it's just, it's just kind of it, it's easier to navigate between kind of spaces on it. it's 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 like the difference between saying hey why don't you move one seat over at the dinner table versus, hey, why don't you just move your chair over? Yeah, yeah. Right? So right. you're actually moving over to the next logical place at the dinner table where you have a plate and silverware and a napkin, and it makes sense for you to be there versus you scooted your chair over three inches, and now you're like, well, which bread is mine, and did I, did I just drink out of your glass? Yeah, I'm not yeah. really sure what's going on here. That's a good analogy. And the Bing Maps control? pretty Bing Maps control is hot, right? So for anyone who wants to do mobile uh, location-based services with Map, you can do it for free. Um Whoa. Now with Bing Masters, it's commercial-free, royalty-free license using our services. Whoa. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Jeez. And in, in essence, these are Silverlight controls. They're just set up for a certain screen size. That's right. Okay. That's right. It's just a Silverlight drop-in control. You drop it right into your project. You can use it, and you have the full power of the Bing service uh, backing the, the Bing Map controls. It's pretty awesome. There, the, there's going to be some really interesting services that get built with it, especially now that you don't have to worry about the the commercial license associated with the the GIS data. That brings up a question I can hear burning in the back of somebody's mind out there. It's the phone is a separate platform, a separate version of Silverlight. You can't just take a, a control that's been compiled for Silverlight, even if it's used the same classes and namespaces um, that are available in, in in the Silverlight on the phone, and just drop it on the phone. Right? You'd have to that's recompile it. Uh, you have to compile for phone, yeah. Yeah. It's just a, that's a but it's, it's it's not. I mean, it's you know, look the the difference between because Silverlight is the core of everything we do. Yeah. For the app plat, well, apart from X and A, it's not. You're not doing unnatural acts. No. Yeah. No. Right. It seems like it. It should be a real easy thing. And in fact, you're going to hear, uh, listeners, when we talk to the some of the developers on the Windows Phone, their experiences with developing on the phone. Uh, have just been amazingly clean. Yeah. I know my experience has been great. I'm loving it. What's, uh, what's, what, what can we be doing better? I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I you weren't ready for that one. Were I you? wasn't. <laughs> and, and this is a question that I asked the, uh, the guys, the developers coming up too. And, um, you know, it was very hard to get, uh, uh, you know, any kind of criticism out of them as you'll hear. But, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I want everything. So, you know, it's just a matter of features that aren't there in the phone, period. I mean, the developer tools are great, but, you know, like everything. I mean, no matter how good your iPhone is or your iPad or your your tablet or your PC, you always want what it, you can't have. You know, you always want the next thing. You want more cameras and more RAM and more cores and everything. So I think I don't have any problems with the tools. I don't have any problems with the phone. I mean, I don't have one, but... <laughs> that, that, that's a, let's start there as a problem. That is a problem. That is a problem that needs to be solved. I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah, Brandon, when are we getting some phones? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, listen, I have actually phones that I've been selling out of the back of my car. Don't tell me. We're not lying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. My, my eBay account's been suspended a long time ago. They got to, they caught wind of what I was doing. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah listen, been, I wish I had more phones. We, jeez, uh, Louise, you talk about. I mean, the, one of, one of the hardest problems that we have, right, as a big company, is people think we have unlimited resources, which, for all intents and purposes, I guess is true, right? I mean, we have you know lots of lots and lots of cash in the bank, etc. But the reality is, is that when you're dealing with pre-production phones, you got a couple of factors. One, they're expensive. You right. got to build a, a, a small. You're not doing a full production line, so it's a one-off line, uh, and you have to build these phones. They're spendy, and you have to guess how many you're going to need. And they have a limited shelf life because once the phones go live, nobody wants a pre-production phone because they're just the build quality is not the same. And right. you know. and so, how many do you buy? Yeah, and that's the tough question, right? It's a really, yeah. really tough question. And then once you kind of make your buy, it's tough to get more because you know, especially right now, 
you know, we have a lot of partners that are spinning up full production lines. They're anticipating selling a lot of phones uh, when we go GA. And so to get them to do a bunch of one-off phones for us, they're not that interested. They just kind of look at us and go, yeah, yeah, sounds great. You know, that, that, you know I guess not. Uh, and so it's really hard position to be in when, you, when you're dealing with pre-production phones and, and kind of guessing as to what the demand will be. And, and we were wrong. Uh, demand has far outstripped supply, and uh, it's it's caused us to have a shortage of devices, and we've had to get really creative with how we, we manage the, the several thousand devices that we have, many thousand devices that we had, and, and make sure that they go to where they need to be, and we can enable developers to build great apps. But uh, it's it's been a fun uh, logistics experiment. <laughs> I've learned a lot. So that's for sure. you want a good story? I'll give you a good story. I mean, I don't have a bad story. I'm reaching for that, but here's a good one. So um, I'm developing this app in which I want to take a picture. Right. Now, that's hard to do in the emulator because the emulator doesn't take a picture. That's so right. uh, this guy, Jeffrey, otherwise known as Dark Thread, wrote an article for Coding for Fun uh, at blog.darkthread.net. Or if you just Bing WP7 camera proxy, he made this camera proxy for the WP7 emulator where you can just pick a, a, a picture off your hard drive and then sort of send that to the phone through uh, an HTTP request through WCF and it's a WinForms application and uh, and you can program the rest of your app as if you did take a picture how cool is that and I that and I was like cool. yeah that's neat but man that seems pretty complex and then I looked at the source code and I'm like damn that's freaking simple and elegant went implemented it and 15 minutes later I was up and running nice it's just great that's good yeah, I mean, look, we definitely didn't get, uh, we don't have all the stuff there, and people, the community is uh, figuring out how to get some things done. I like the Wiimote uh, accelerometer fix. Yeah, that was, that's a good uh, Very inventive, uh, and there's been a couple of those that have surfaced, and we definitely kind of shake our heads in, in amazement at uh, what the community comes up with, their inventiveness and creativeness. It's just, it's awesome to see, uh, and, and we try to share those out as much as we can, and we'll, we'll be implementing what we can as we go forward. But to your point, you're right. There's there's some things that you just need a phone to test with. And our friend Rene Schulte, you know who Rene is. He's the guy that yeah. did, yeah, he's the guy that did that awesome uh, uh, ver- augmented reality stuff that you were in the back of the room and you caused you to swear out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Which I do all the time. But in that particular instance, it was well-deserved. Yeah, this guy is great. And we interviewed him on the show as well. Uh, he also wrote in Coding for Fun uh, that he wrote a, a, a phone picture effects application. So you can take a picture and then do all sorts of crazy effects to it. And he explains like the, the graphics and the physics and all the stuff. Man's brilliant. Very cool. Yeah, no, it's it's the uh, if you could bring uh, some of that inventiveness to the phone, I, I want him to send it to me, please. I'd love to see it. Yeah, he's very cool. It's on Coding for Fun also. Oh, is it? Okay, cool. Yep. I'll go check it out. Pick FX. P-I-C-F-X. Oh, you know what? I have seen that app. No, 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 no. I have seen that app. And that was one that I was demoing uh, a couple weeks ago to our executive leadership. They wanted to see some... Uh, uh, they wanted to see some cool kind of one-off, not one-off, one-man shop kind of kind of deals. They didn't want to see... Uh, we've shown them plenty of the showcase apps that we've got coming from the big names that you'd expect. They want to see what one man and a compiler could do. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of the apps I showed. I actually did show that one. Awesome. Well, and, and it cool. seems like there's quite a few one, two, three-man teams building apps part-time to yeah. be in the marketplace have, right from have the Have you beginning. seen Dimitri's, uh, Lee Allen's uh, app? Have you seen this? No. No. All right. Well, it's, I, I, I hesitate to mention it because it's, it's you, could, you could squint really hard and call it a competitive situation. So I don't want to necessarily bring it up uh, and cause you guys a little bit of consternation. But he, he's basically built a, a, a This Week in Tech app uh, for surfacing all the content from uh, from that network. Uh, and it's just one guy who's just a super fan, and he's built an incredible experience. And when you compare it to what's available on uh, the iPhone and what's available on Android, uh, it is, it's not even close. It's just not even close. The, the, the tools and, and the experiences you can build, it really is amazing to me what one guy can do. Uh, and as I was talking about it this, this past week with, I forgot who we were talking to about this, but I said, it kind of feels like we've reached our Gutenberg moment in development yeah. where you know anybody who wants to can be a developer, right? It is approachable enough. Now, to do the really hard, crazy stuff, you, you got to be Steinbeck, right? Mm-hmm. You got to be Shakespeare. But anybody can make an app. 
And right. anybody who can dream up something cool can do it. And that is what is so cool about where we are. I mean, I like to joke we're living in the future, but that is what is, I just, it blows me away. Um, Brandon, what was the third control that you mentioned in that list of things that are new? Uh, the pivot control. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Is a, yeah, this is a, that's a cool one. Uh, it's a way to just kind of filter data really, really quickly, right? Uh, and so the canonical example we use is in your inbox, right? So you've got a list of in- uh, email messages. That's your all pivot. But it, just a simple flick of the finger and you move to unread and it quickly filters a list and redisplays it. And a quickly flick of the finger and you get to urgent and then flagged and then, you know, whatever whatever pivots you want to set up, uh, that's all built into the control and you can get it programmatically available to you. So it actually makes filtering and sorting lists uh, very, very easy and you don't have to navigate in and out of, again, menu choices or lists or whatnot. It just kind of, it's all right there happens in, in real time for it. It's very, very cool. Is this the, the same control that exists in Silverlight 2 with modifications for the phone, the pivot viewer control? No, no, no. The pivot viewer that you're thinking about is, is from the Live Labs guys. Yeah. And that's, that's you know, how do I, you know, we, we like so to work different. together a little too much at this company, but, but that is how can I take a lot of graphical information and, and display it based on different pivots, i.e., you know, if I have a list of movies, you know, uh, published in this year, yeah. directed by so-and-so, by this studio, uh, with this actor in it, right? Those would all be pivots that you could take on the data, and it kind of rearranges itself. One this is just right. a, a much simpler kind of lists, you know, pivoting through lists. Okay. Yeah, there just seemed to be some confusion around pivot versus panoramic. Like, they're, they're all sort of similar. They're, they're a little bit similar. I think the right way, again, to think about it is, is panorama is... You know, let me fly around my neighborhood and get to the right, uh, get to the right part of the neighborhood. Pivot is, you know, how do I take a list of data and get to the information I care about quickly? Right. I can see panorama being used in a game where there's lots of different rooms or worlds that you can move in and out of easily. Uh, that that could be interesting. I think in a game situation, what you might actually use a panorama for would be uh, the the pause experience. So you, you back out of the game and, and you need some way to navigate your your tool belt and your inventory and your score and your map and all that stuff. And so do you click on choices on the left-hand side of the screen and use a valuable real estate for that and move in and out, you know, kind of click tool belt, go in and then back out and then click you know, inventory, go in and back out? Or do you have this now surface area that you can just kind of flick your finger and move over and, and go to what's important to you, right? Okay. All right. Now... We've been focusing on the Silverlight side of things, which seems to be the the much more consumable way of building software for the phone. But there's also the XNA side, yeah. And that to me still seems pretty low level. Like it's, that's tougher coding. Uh, you know, tougher coding. I, look, it, it's tougher coding because it's math, yeah. Right, but it's it's not tougher coding because it's all C sharp and it's it's a really well documented, uh, very mature framework. Uh, for building games, right? If I mean, you're a game it, developer, it it's walking the park. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I, look, again, I, I always joke that I'm the dumb marketing guy, and, and while I get that I have more technical skills than, than what you'd expect from a marketing guy, you know, I was able to take uh, the learning uh, learning SNA 3.0 book, the O'Reilly book. I can't remember the guy's name. I'd love to give him a plug, but I can't remember the author's name. But uh, learning learning SNA 3.0, and I went through the first couple of chapters and did exactly what the chapters told me to do, uh, and was able to make polygons moving around the screen on my phone with no problem, right? And so the book knows nothing about the phone, and yet all the code worked on the phone. So that tells you how mature and robust the, the, the framework is, right? We didn't make a lot of phone-specific changes. Um, and it just, just becomes math, right? How do you deal with moving objects, and how do you think about things in a for loop, or excuse me, a while loop, which is your game pump, right? And just making sure you're doing all the right things, and you handle your your uh, your content pipeline and, and moving moving your polygons around the screen. But it, it actually handles a lot of stuff for you and makes it quite a bit simpler than I would imagine games developing would be without it. That's Aaron Reed. That, 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 Aaron uh, Reed, yeah. Excellent. It's a great book. Very, very approachable. He's done a great job with that one. It's awesome. Do you see any games out there that are going to connect the Xbox and the phone together? Uh, connect them together. That's, a, like, that's kind of a broad topic. So let me talk about what I have seen okay, uh, and see if it answers your question because that just gives me the opportunity to talk more. Uh, which, you know. <laughs> it is a talk uh, show. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I got Halo, Halo Reach last week. I don't know if you guys picked up Halo Reach, but uh, that, that landed last week. And while yeah. I haven't had nearly enough time to play it, uh, that game exists in the Xbox 360 and as a very rich, uh, full-up, uh, you know, 
first-person shooter, blow everything up on the screen kind of experience. That doesn't translate real well to a phone, per se, right? But what we will have is, is a companion game, which we've demoed, called Halo Waypoint, which is a way to unlock additional content in the game and, and kind of expand from what you're doing on screen down to your phone in a, in a meaningful way, right? Nice. Um, and a similar game that I'm that I every time I talk about games on the phone, this is the one I can't wait to play. It's called Project Sunburst, and it's a companion app to Crackdown Two, which is coming out. But this, I mean, you want to talk about blowing your mind? Uh, you know, this is just just get ready to reset your neurons here when you think about games. So we've all played tower defense games. The one I play the most is uh, Field Runners, though I've, I've largely smacked my head against the wall too many times on that one to even try to understand how the scoring works. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it, I, listen. I got a perfect. Like I, not one person got through, and somehow that wasn't a high score. Someone could explain how the scoring works. Maybe I'll go back to the game, but that was irritating to get a perfect game and still not have a high score. Um, but uh, but so think about your your typical tower defense game, right? You got a a two D landscape that's generally bounded by some obstacles that uh, people come in from point A and go to point B, right? Or come in from A and B and go to point C and D, right? That's your that's your typical tower defense game. Yeah. Cracked or sunburst. What this is is okay. You have to defend your encampments, and your playing surface is a Bing Maps control. And because Ooh. we have all the road and traffic data associated with that map, <laughs> the call them the zombies, whatever they you know the creatures, the trucks, whatever they are, just call them the zombies. They only walk on the sidewalk, <laughs> the parking lots, <laughs> the streets, the freeways. And they attack your buildings, and you set up your turrets and your cannons and all that stuff on your buildings. So you can defend your house. You can defend your office park. Wow. Right? That's crazy. It's insane. Right? <laughs> oh, my shows, God. You know, the zombies coming for the Microsoft Game Studios, and it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's a map. That's and you're awesome. looking at them, and you zoom in and out, and it's, it's what you'd expect from a, a big map control, and you're defending your map. That's it's hilarious. Awesome. You can sit on your front porch and throw flames at zombies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So when I first saw that demo about a month and a half ago, I, every time I sent an email to one of the guys on the team that, in theory, should be able to get this for me, I'm like, dude, wh- where is this thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's coming. It finally told me how I could get it, but I have to wipe my phone, which is just a whole different process. And I don't even that yeah. that I don't I don't want it that much that I'm going to risk wiping my phone and and yeah. the. Uh, the associated pain that that might bring with it, because to my phone is a as one of the test units, and I need to be able to do USB out on the phone, and so wow. it's uh, you know yeah, yeah. it works it, it works so we don't want to but don't wanna coming soon <laughs> yeah no but the games are that. coming to and it's exciting so so you talked about you know bridging Xbox uh, down to the phone and and that's how people are doing it. now there are going to be other folks that, that try to build games that that basically look exactly the same on Xbox 360 and on the phone and you can do that. Uh, if you want, it, it really is up to the you in terms of what experience you want to build for your customers. What about using the phone as a controller for the Xbox? Is that possible? Um, phone is the Xbox controller, so you could figure out a way. I'm, I'm sure to do some sort of kind of, you know, maybe you set it down on the table and it becomes your 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 HUD map, right? And it somehow is is integrated with your. You'd have to be running your own servers to kind of settling data up. Or be able to, um, you know, enter in secrets or interact with a game that only works on your phone. Uh, it is possible. Uh, that is beyond my realm of creativity at this stage in the game, given everything I've got going on. Like, the, the amount of free space I have in my head right now, I yeah. cannot even begin to think how that would work. I'm sure it can. <laughs> I, I haven't thought it through. But I'm sure, yes, you could do it. Awesome. It's a neat idea. Yeah, that was Richard's is. idea, actually. There's too many possibilities there for things we might be able to do. Uh, uh, you know, and that's that's the thing, right? I mean, we, we tell people, look, we, we want to give people tools to take whatever they can dream uh, and go build it. Uh, and, and largely, I think we've hopefully accomplished that. I mean, we're, we're very cautiously optimistic. But, you know, some of the things I'm seeing coming out, I mean, I saw an app today uh, at our French uh, DPE, which is our developer platform evangelism, their, their Facebook page. And this video is as a guy that basically built an app that integrates with Windows 7, and he's basically flicking photos from his phone to his to his computer that he's sitting right in front of, uh, awesome. and then modifying them, and they're coming back, and then controlling apps on that. It, it was crazy. I don't I actually, you know, looking at the app, you almost don't believe that it's true, right? Because it's it's the guy's only had the tools for a month and a half, and look what he's built. It's it's shocking. Uh, so it's, I really am excited to see a lot of the creativity that's, that's going to be coming around the, from around the world. Well, Brandon, this has been great. And I, I, I want to urge the listeners to stay tuned for the interviews that are coming up. But in the meantime, 
Uh, is developer.windowsphone.com, is that uh, where we can go to get the tools? You betcha. I mean, absolutely go get the tools. The final tools are out there. Downloads take you, I don't know, no more than 20 minutes, we hope. Um, and, uh, you know, look, we're always looking to hear from people what interesting stuff they're doing. We, we pass around. Uh, people have been posting videos at YouTube uh, and tagging them with uh, WP7DevDEV. Uh, and every time we see new ones kind of pop up there, we pass them around here on campus. So they actually are getting viewed and passed around. People going, wow, check this out. Or, hey, look at this. Uh, look at this app. So that's all very exciting. But, you know, I've done enough yapping. We, uh, the reason we sponsored the shows was so you guys could actually talk to real developers, not marketing guys talking about the tools. I'd yeah. rather you guys talk to the developers building really cool stuff and go ask them the hard questions. Well, thanks very much. And thanks for building such a great device and great tools. I, you know, we're having a ball with it. Thank the engineering team. I had almost nothing to do with it. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, engineering team. There you go. <laughs> and thank you, dear listener, for listening. Stay tuned for, uh, for more right after this. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you about JustMock, Telerik's mocking tool. And unlike most mocking tools, JustMock can work with non-virtual methods, sealed classes, and static methods and classes, giving you complete control over your code. And, of course, you get that great Telerik quality and support. You can read more and download the tool at Telerik.com slash JustMock. And, hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. We're talking uh, this time with Ian Nicolaitis and Joel Stiles. Ian is the founder of Uber Geek Games, uh, a longtime hobbyist programmer. Ian launched the company in 2008 at the start of the Xbox Live Indie Games Market launch and has released six titles on the marketplace since. He teamed up with Joel in 2009 and they've been working together to build games for XBLIG, XBLIG. Ever since. <laughs> Is that what you say? Xblig? <laughs> uh, no, it's usually just the abbreviation. It's the acronym for Xbox Live Indie Games. All right. X-B-L-I-G. Yeah. Uh, Joel Stiles is a technical artist with over eight years' experience in the games industry. He worked on Bioshock, as well as the Oblivion series, and most recently the Batman series from Rocksteady. Ian, Joel, welcome. Hi, how you doing? Oh. And I'm looking at ubergeekgames.com, which uh, you pointed out is all one word, no spaces in there, and no dots. You, Uber Geek Games, and uh, this is the the stuff that you're working on now. And somewhere in here, I assume that there's some Windows Phone development going on. Yes, absolutely. And this is uh, Joel or Ian. This is Ian. So tell us about, first of all, tell us about the kind of stuff that you've done. Obviously, you guys are are uh, serious game developers, but um, tell us about what you've done that uh, you want to bring to the Windows Phone. Mainly what we want to bring to the Windows Phone is the best gaming experience that we can build for it. We think that the phone is an incredible opportunity and that it has some fantastic hardware powering it and that we can really build some really high-caliber games for it uh, that really push it in the way of graphics and gameplay on a mobile device. Okay. I'm looking at Bullet Asylum, and I think, what's your tagline here? Do you have to wait seconds before you get to shoot things? This is immediate violence. Exactly. Our unofficial <laughs> tagline during development was, if you, need sun- if you don't need sunglasses to play it, we blew it. Uh, and and did i read this correctly this is also available on the xbox as well it's not available yet but it will be we're developing it at the same time for both the xbox and the windows phone 7 interesting and uh joel the visuals on that i've just seen the youtube video here the visuals on it are spectacular just a real 3d effect and and uh sort of glowy things and the explosions are oh i need sunglasses yeah i i don't know as if i would last two seconds in a game like this (laughs) yeah that's just ridiculous uh, focusing on the twitch gameplay it's um trying to be as fast and frenetic as possible and you, you don't have any issues with performance or anything on the Windows Phone? The 
the GPU is is uh, is adequate? We demoed the phone, the game on the actual hardware at the Windows Phone Firestarter that I had attended earlier, and the game was extremely fluid. There was a little bit of performance hitching at the very end when the screen was just filled with filled with enemies. Sorry, but. Uh, we're going to be fixing that before release, of course, and the final product will run a st- rock steady 30 FPS during the entire game. The, so far, the hardware has been really, really powerful and honestly more than what we were expecting, so we're really, really excited to be developing for it. And you said you're developing the Xbox version and the Windows Phone version simultaneously? Yes. And it, how's that going? Are, are you finding any uh, snags in on the phone side? Not so much, no. The biggest difference is just making sure that you fork your render path so that you have one set of uh, graphic sizes for the phone and one size for the Xbox, and then things for, like, controls and multi-threading. And other than that, the gameplay code, the uh, helper code, the the code that makes the game run, basically, it's almost 100% identical across both platforms. Wow. Now, almost. So is it just a matter of screen size, or is there anything significant that has to change? No, no, nothing nothing really significant at all. It's mainly just the controls, the screen size, and then things like uh, just semantic difference and tactic differences between uh, XNA 3.1 and 4.0, like uh, little things like uh, different overloads for the color struct, but really nothing major. It's mm. been amazingly easy to... to developed simultaneously for both of them while keeping a nearly identical code base. Wow. From the uh, graphics point of view, I mean, we designed it so that uh, we kept the lowest common denominator in check. So, um, you know, as simple as possible so that we could push it to the the extreme with the um, the amount of content on screen. Um, Had you been developing for, um, with Visual Studio before this project? Yes, for quite a long time, actually, ever since the start of Xbox Live indie games, we've been, I, well, I've been using Visual Studio, of course, as that's what you write uh, C-sharp and XNA in, mm-hmm. and so I've been using the, the same dev tools all along, ever since I started making Xbox Live indie games, so it's been a real smooth transfer. And Joel, you, you also have been using uh, Visual Studio the whole time? No, um, I'm more from the art side, so um, <laughs> my side's more uh, the graphical than code. I see. So what sort of tools are you using, Joel? Uh, mainly 3D Studio Max and Photoshop-based. Oh, okay. And so what your art, what form does it come into the phone as? Uh, it's exactly the same format. I mean, there's a little bit of resizing that's done to kind of pad out the um, the dead space. but right. um yeah, I mean, it's it's quite literally one-to-one between the phone and the Xbox, so it's uh, it's just raw, uh, raw graphic base. I think you meant, is it XAML that you're uh, generating? Sorry, what's that? Are you generating XAML? No, no, we're not using XAML for anything in the game. Okay. So, yeah, I'm just trying to get a picture of the, so you're making like PNGs or bitmaps, or what's the graphic format? Yeah, so we've... Uh, at the moment, what we're using is a, uh, a single texture atlas, which is comprised of uh, just a big sheet of PNGs so that we can basically batch the, um, the drawer as fast as possible. Hmm. So it's just uh, what it comes through in the engine side is just one huge texture, basically. Right. Yeah, so it's just one blob that is all of the images laid out on. I've seen these kinds of things, and then you're basically picking up the pieces you need and putting them where they need to go. Now, I can't remember uh, um, if you had if we had talked about this or, and I didn't see it on your website. Do you do either of you guys develop games for other platforms other than XNA? No, we're okay. strictly XNA at this point. Okay, Joel, have you done work on other platforms? Yeah, I mean, uh, professionally, I've done um, uh, work on pretty much all current gen and last gen stuff, but um, the uh, XNA platform has just been so comfortable with um, uh, 
doing the last few games that we've done that, uh, yeah, I mean, we're pretty damn happy with keeping nice and loyal to it. Okay. So it's been a really good experience. It has. It definitely has, especially just the cross-compatibility between the uh, phone and the Xbox. Ian, do you see any uh, ability or interest in building a game that uh, two players can play together, one on the Xbox, one on the phone? Yes. I, I'm not sure if you've heard of the game, but one of my favorite party and co-op games for the GameCube, actually, for the last generation, was Legend of Zelda Four Swords Adventures, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. It was a really ingenious game where you could hook up your Game Boy Advance using a cable to the console, and then you could play for the game on the television, but then on certain parts you could play through on your handheld, like for competitive parts where you didn't want other people to see what you had or things like that. Nice. And I think that that type of gameplay would just be phenomenal on the Xbox and the Windows Phone 7, especially considering just how far the hardware has advanced since those days and how yeah. powerful these two consoles are. I mean, I'm thinking the Windows Phone 7 has got a wee bit more clout than a Game Boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, that to me seems really interesting is opening up different parts of games because you've got the phone there to do something with and then the Xbox comes separately or, you know, head-to-head play or a support role play. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these games on the GameCube, actually, now that I think about, had some type of tie-in with the Game Boy game, and there was actually a couple games, another Zelda game, actually, where you could, another player uh, could have their Game Boy hooked up and help you along while they were using the small screen and you were playing on the big screen. Right. And these types of experiences, uh, they, they were just a whole lot of fun to play with friends, and uh, to be able to do something on the Windows phone and the Xbox with the power that's available there, you could do some seriously amazing gameplay, ex- make some really great gameplay experiences doing something like that. I think the communication side of that would be the challenging part. How do you communicate between the game, uh, between the Xbox and the, the, the phone? Well, currently, at least on the Xbox Live indie games architecture, you have no outside internet access on the Xbox. You're limited entirely to Xbox Live servers for right. multiplayer gameplay with other Xboxes. So currently, you couldn't even do something like that with asynchronous gameplay over a web server. It's just physically impossible unless you're a registered developer. Mm, right. But if something were opened up so that anyone or at least could do that, or if he had a contract to do that, to maybe have another layer of servers in and hook the phones up directly over Xbox Live. I mean, if you could hook the phones directly to Xbox Live and have everything communicate over the same architecture, that would be crazy easy to program and would be extremely fast. So I think ideally something like that, an architecture like that, would work really, really well. Ian, can you tell me about your development process a little bit. Um, do you guys basically sit around saying, you know, this is where we want to go next in this game and do the artwork first or plug into the, to the, uh, to the existing code or, or, or is it a, just a constant tweaking of both art and code? How do you have a, do you have a formal process around it? No, it's completely informal ad hoc at this point, and it it goes either way. I mean, on some games, I'll have already built up a cool prototype, and I'll send it over to Joel and say, hey, look at this, I think this would be really cool if we did blah, 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 and then he'll come back and say, yeah, yeah, and we could do such and such, and he'll add some art to this work, and then we'll go from there. Or he'll send me a concept of an idea that would work well with some placeholder art, and I'll build a prototype around that. So it works either way, just whatever's the most efficient for what the idea at hand that we're doing is. And and are you finding that there's a um a short time between Creative Spark and something that satisfies you that you see on the screen? Yes. Compared to previous to com- compared to what I had previously done, XNA is just unbelievable and how quickly you can go from quick prototype with a few sprites on screen to something that actually feels like a game. I mean, I've, I remember in the C and C++ and Direct, DirectX days where it would take literally 500 lines of code just to get a window open, and to be able to do that so easily with XNA is just extraordinary. 
That sounds very cool, and I've really not explored enough of XNA to really know all the potential there, but every game developer I've ever talked about said this was a lot easier than the old C++ approach to things. Yes, absolutely, 100% is. I want to change gears a little bit here, because since you guys have already done this work in the uh, indie game space, does that actually generate revenue for you? Some revenue, yes. It's not... The marketplace still seems fairly immature right now, and and it seems uh, with the marketplace, it's incredibly, incredibly dependent on getting something on the top downloads list and just staying there. And the long tail is, uh, you're not on any of the main dashboard lists. It's pretty difficult to browse, so you downloads generally fall to fairly low levels. Yeah, if you, so if I'm on, the, I'm just taking a look at the IndieBox uh, Indie Games page here, and it's, there's a hot titles list. So if you're on that, you're making money, and if you're yeah. not, you're not. That pretty much sums up what the marketplace is at this point. And I'm just thinking in context of what the Windows Phone 7 marketplace might be like, because obviously Microsoft's had some practice now with the indie game site. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure that they'll work that, build that into the next system. And I, from what I've seen of the interface, it looks like they're really focused on making sure that the oldie but goodie games and the, the real gems in the service float to the top with things like the uh, date editor's picks and things like that that I've seen. Right. Well, I just, I mean, I'm looking at indie games here, and already you can see there's 1,300 games in the indie game site. So I just that's getting... over 1,400 by now. Yeah. So, it, you know, I think we're going to have the same challenge with the Windows Phone Marketplace with lots and lots of titles, and how are we going to sort through them and find the good ones? Exactly. But is either one of this your guys' full-time job now? Is this your business? Do you make a living from it? No, right now, uh, for me at least, it's just a fun hobby side project. Right. And, of course, obviously, uh, Joel's making a living as an artist, but on lots of different projects. That's all right. I mean, at the moment, um, I'm full-time employed by uh, by Rocksteady. I'm working on uh, Arkham City at the moment. So hmm. it's definitely something that we do um, with all our heart and soul. It's um, something that we pour a lot of passion into. But, uh, yeah, at the moment, it's definitely not something that we can um, justify giving up our day jobs so. for. Before we go, guys, is there any last-minute things, maybe something that you want to uh, talk to the or, or ask or a feature request for the for the team or kudos or anything else? I think the main thing is that we're both extremely grateful just for the service itself because as early as it is, it's just mind-blowing that we even have the possibility to release something to the Xbox with so little approval process without having to go through Microsoft and get a, a expensive dev kit and just be able to drop $100 and if you meet a few TCRs and be able to release something onto the Xbox. I mean, five years ago, you would have thought, if you had told someone that, they would have thought you were crazy. So yeah. it's, it's just an inc- incredible opportunity. Two guys are building apps that run on the Xbox, and that same model is going to work for building them for the phone. Awesome. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Ian, Joel, and uh, good luck in the future. Thank you. Thanks a lot. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by the Haystack Code Generator for .NET, code generation on steroids. Want more control over your code gen? Want your code generator to give you Silverlight 4, WPF, and ASP.NET CRUD screens? The Haystack Code Generator for .NET will generate entity, data, and business rule classes for all your SQL Server and Oracle tables, views, and store procedures. Haystack generates ASP.NET, WPF, and Silverlight user controls, view model classes, and WCF service layer classes for true end-tier applications. Check out CodeHaystack.com, download the user manual, and watch the videos for more information on this great product. They host a live webcast every two weeks. You can sign up at pdsa.com slash webcasts and see how Haystack will shorten your development cycle. We are uh, talking uh, right now with Jeff Weber, 
who's been a developer for 12 years or so, working solely with Microsoft tools and technology. As a day job, he works for a consulting company in northern Wisconsin called Skyline Technologies. Uh, and also uh, runs FarseerGames.com. There's uh, three to four Silverlight games there, including some Windows Phone 7 games that are coming up and coming. Hi. Hi, Jeff. Hi there. How are you doing? Fantastic. Good. So, uh, Crashlander, is that your, your piece de resistance? Yes, it actually is. <laughs> it's a game I've been working toward for a long time. And it wasn't originally going to be built for the Windows Phone 7, but it was going to be done in Silverlight. But since they announced uh, Windows Phone 7 and the Marketplace, I thought it would be a good fit, and that's where I'm headed. So there's a there's a nice little YouTube video um, on your on your site for Crashlander. A robot loses his head. Tell us about the game. Well, the game is a it's a it's a physics driven game. So there's it's pretty heavy with the physics. Um, you basically ski down a hill and get to the end of the the bottom of the mountain, and then you have to destroy any robots to complete the level. It's kind of the best way to I can describe it is it's a cross kind of between a game called Line Rider mm. and Angry Birds. So. Oh yeah, yeah, I've <clears> heard of that. Right. Most people have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for I'm surprised at myself because for a guy who doesn't play a lot of games, I, I've actually heard about that recently. Um, right. And and it also has been recommended for my kids. <laughs> Angry Birds. Yeah, I think that one's that one's is good for a lot of people. Simple to play. So you come from a Silverlight background, right? You've done other Silverlight games, obviously. Yeah, Diver and Firestorm uh, and. I've been using Silverlight. I think since it was in beta, I actually, uh, I got started with it. I had created the uh, Farseer physics engine, which was a physics engine originally for uh, XNA, and it was based on this other engine called the Box 2D engine, which was a C++ engine. Mm -hmm. And um, Bill Reese, another Silverlight developer, he actually ported my physics engine to Silverlight and that kind of introduced me to Silverlight. I hadn't really been paying attention to it. And once I started digging into it, I would, I got pretty excited about it. And then I just started building games for it. And that's so far I have uh, Diver, Diver 2, Tire Storm, and then a game called We Are Bugs, which I did for the uh, Mix uh, 10K Challenge a couple of years ago. Nice. Well, I've heard about you because... Uh... In February of 2010, Michael Cummings came down to the studio and did a two-part DNR TV series on XNA development. Okay. And he actually wrote in this series right in front of us uh, a game uh, called Bumper Cars in Space that uses your physics engine for XNA. Oh, that's cool. I, I don't think I've... I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, it's show 165 if you go to dnrtv.com in the archives or previous shows. So your your code has been on your sh our show before it got on uh, before you did. <laughs> but I was really impressed in that series about how easy it was to use the the Farseer engine. I mean, literally you just you put it in and I think you set a couple of values. One was a gravity value or something like that. That or uh yeah, is that right? Right. I'm guessing what he was probably showing was a a uh a physics engine a helper class or a helper a set of helper objects that um, Andy, I, I can't pronounce his last name, Bolio, he, he, he actually took the physics engine and built a set of uh, behaviors and, and wrapper objects yeah. to make it usable from blend. Hmm. And that's probably what you're talking about because it, it allows you that helper class and that those helper objects allow you to, kind of work with the engine right from the blend UI. Well, he was he, he was actually working in Visual Studio.net. Okay. And um, creating an XNA game with the XNA Studio. Oh, okay. Then I take that back. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know that about the this... Uh, boy, man, you have all sorts of incarnations of this. But Well, anyway, I was blown away at how easy it was for him to just drop it in, set a value, and then watch things crash into each other and repel and all that stuff. 
Right. That's kind of the power of the of physics engine. It really does a lot of the a lot of the heavy lifting for you, and you just have to kind of give it some values, and then get, you get values back out and yeah. push things around on your screen. He didn't have to know a heck of a lot about physics. So tell us <laughs> about um, developing for the Windows Phone Seven. What has sure. that been like? Well, for me, it's been it's been great. It's kind of it's kind of a the tools and technologies that they've um, decided to use for the phone development are kind of right in line with what I've what I'm always been familiar with. So it was it's been nice. I really some a lot of times I don't even feel like I'm like working with the phone itself. It's just basically Silverlight development that I'm doing. Did you find anything but, was missing that you needed for um did you use the Farseer engine or port it to the Windows phone? Yeah, I'm using the the latest version of the Farseer physics engine which I, I don't manage the uh, the engine anymore. I passed that off to someone else who mm-hmm. had more time than me, mm-hmm. but I am using the the latest version of it. And yeah, it's it didn't take much to, to get that running up and running on the phone. And mm-hmm. it's just been pretty straightforward. Everything is, is going great so far. The biggest, the biggest issue that you have to kind of pay attention to is obviously the performance on the phone you don't have quite the horsepower that you have on a desktop yeah so i'm i'm reading all the performance documentation that they have out there and just trying to keep everything tight and my frame rates up so and in the end this is all xaml you're you're working in yeah all the like all the visuals are xaml and uh then i just it's all kind of pretty dynamic it's a pretty dynamic game which normally you wouldn't do in silverlight you would kind of use xna but i had existing code from the other game i i wrote in silverlight called diver mm-hmm. it had a lot of the it has a lot of the same game mechanics so i decided just to start with the the code from that game and use that as a starting point for crash lander since i'm trying to get this done for the launch of the phone right Yes, it's all it's all XAML and Physics Engine. You you mentioned that sometimes you don't even you forget that you're working with the phone. Was there any critical piece of Silverlight that was missing that uh, caused you any sort of sweat? No, I didn't. I didn't have. There was nothing missing. No, there's nothing that. There's, I had no issues with anything huh. that was missing. So. so really, it's been a matter of just trying to squeeze the UI into a little screen. Yes. Yeah, the the screen real estate. I mean, everything's a little bit tighter when you're skiing down the hill. You don't, you can't quite see as far in front of you. Hmm. But I, I just kind of worked it out best I could. I keep the player as he's skiing down the hill. I kind of keep him at the one side of the screen so that you have more kind of foresight for where you're heading. Right. Um, some of the nice things I like about the uh, the phone is the 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 touch controls. I my game uses a kind of a unique uh, game mechanic in that as you kind of move your finger around the the touch portion of my game, it controls the entire posture of the character and that posture is all physics driven. So it's kind of, it was kind of nice to get that up and running and yeah, be able the, to control the character with the touch. In the video there, the crash is quite dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, actually, when I re- recorded that video, that was like my second run, and then I took the robot's head off in dramatic fashion. So I well, and plus the it. skis go flying off; like the whole thing comes apart very well. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> and I got yeah, we're giving you compliments on the game because it's pretty, it is pretty cool looking. Hey, did you run into any difference? Did you mostly develop in the emulator, or do you have a phone to work with? I developed. I started off in the emulator. And then I did get a a phone. I had a phone for about a three to four weeks, and I I got to do a lot of testing on that. And then I had to give that back because they are trying to pass that around to as many people as possible. And my hope is that prior to launch, I can get another phone for about a week, so I can I need to kind of tune the the gameplay a little bit. Right, and mostly concerned about performance. Performance and just because of the way the game 
just played with that kind of a unique mechanic, just making sure you can kind of get down the hill okay and that it's not too difficult to play. Right. Well, and I'm wondering if there's real one of the things that people complain about with emulators is that what happens to the emulator, what happens to the phone can be dramatically different. So I'm wondering if you're running into any of that when you were testing against the phone. Right. The the phone that I had ran at the time, it ran a little bit slower than the emulator. Okay. But it was still playable and I was able to, I was definitely able to, uh, you know, fix fix some things and make things a little more, little nicer having the actual device. So there is still no substitute for playing on the device. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. Do you have touch on your your dev machine? No, I I, I thought about buying a monitor with touch, but then decided against it. It's it. I can play it pretty well with the mouse on right. the uh, emulator. So that's that's been good enough. One thing that I I do want to hook up that you absolutely need a. Uh, a actual device for is the accelerometer yeah that, i was just yeah. thinking about that that uh you know you could make you could being able to tilt the phone to change behavior of the player twist the balance a little bit or something might be ramp the game up another notch but really hard to test in an emulator correct and i and i am thinking of of using it just precisely for what you mentioned when when you when you do a large jump with the skier you, you can kind of get stuck if you don't if you don't get yourself into a little bit of a spin off the launch. Right. You kind of can't control your landing, so I'm thinking of hooking up the accelerometer just to allow you to kind of nudge the person into a rotation so that you can kind of uh, stick your landing a little better. Now, I seem to recall there was a company that was selling accelerometers with USB plugs on them that were just separate so that you could plug it into your machine and then, you know, wiggle it around. Yeah, I, I saw a couple of different hacks. I saw that. I think some people use the uh, Wii remote to right. simulate it. But I just decided that I wanted to spend my time making the game and not trying to find some Jeff, hacky way to make it work. When you're when you're developing this, what was the most pleasantly surprising thing about uh, working with developing for the phone? I just think, I, I think just the the ease of de- development and the way it's just i mean it's just lined up if you're a microsoft developer it's just it's just a no brainer it's it there's nothing really to think about other than the different screen size yeah you know and a, f- a few other small things that are phone specific but i think that was the most pleasant thing for me have you done development for other phones i have not this is my first phone yeah well I, being a microsoft developer it's it's Hard to feel the pain of uh, other platforms. <laughs> I know the True. feeling. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I've thought about getting it, trying out some iPhone development, but I just I don't. I only get to do this in my spare time, and the the learning curve was not something I wanted to tackle. But I got to think you're looking forward to getting this into the store, maybe generating a little revenue. Yes, I am <laughs> working hard. Working hard toward that. Because the Silverlight games you've built so far, you just give them away? I give them away, and I have uh, Google AdSense on them. Okay. But it'll be nice to actually have a, a dedicated marketplace and you know see how that goes. Yeah. And I have a lot of other ideas that I plan to bring to the phone as well. Awesome. So uh, any final thoughts, things you might want to let people know that are thinking about building WinPhone 7 apps? Uh. I guess just go out and do it. It's 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 very easy to do. The tools the tools are all free. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of uh, applications on the iPhone that seem pretty basic that I think just what anybody could build, and some of them are actually making some money. So give it a shot. Yeah, I don't see a WinPhone Seven fart here in your list. No, I, I guess I could make the the Crash Lander character fart as he flies th- through the air, but I think I'll pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> a little extra boost, get a little extra yeah. height going there. <laughs> yeah. What about sound effects? Do you, do you play music or you know have any other sounds around the game? Yeah, actually, the the one of the cool things about the uh, development on the phone is, well, you have the Silverlight, and you then you have XNA libraries, and some of the XNA libraries can be shared 
with um, you can access them through the the Silverlight um, application. So, and I actually do that for my sound effects because with XNA, it allows you to play multiple sound effects and you have a little bit more control over the sound. So I just reference a XNA DLL from my Silverlight app and play the sounds with that. So you can get at XNA from Silverlight. You can get at certain parts of it. You can't, you can't mix the, uh, like the rendering. You can't mix any visual pieces of it, but the sound effects you can get at, and there's some other, there's some other, other, pieces that are common across the two cool well jeff thanks so much for talking to us it sounds like i mean we've i don't know how many times i asked you if you had any complaints and the answer has been emphatically no so that's no not not at all that's fantastic uh the site is farseer games f-a-r-s-e-e-r games.com you've been talking with jeff weber and uh thanks for listening thanks a lot guys .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a